turn to 2 Corinthians 6 or just look up on the uh, screen. 2 Corinthians 6, what we did uh, is uh, we went th- I went through teachings through First and Second Corinthians, very focused on specific two points that I'll mention in a moment. And uh, I just want to share with you from Second Corinthians six a uh, bit of the end of all the other things that we did. Second Corinthians chapter six, one through ten. We then, as workers together with him, which is Jesus also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, which means beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fasting, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live, as chastened yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. I'm not going to try to um, expand on all this whole section. You could spend a good length of time on it. That's Paul expressing the role that he and other leaders, apostles, have speaking to the Corinthians because the Corinthians were listening to false apostles who came with their letters of recommendation from Jerusalem and from that were trying to control the people and dismissing and dissing on Paul. And the people in Corinth, with a church that he started from no Christians, uh, he's their father in the faith. They are dissing Paul and missing the point and getting hung up in false apostles and men's wisdom. And that's a big deal in Malawi. Uh, in, in Africa is false apostles and false prophets claiming great things and taking people's money. What's new? Okay, so that was where we went in detail. So how do we not receive the grace of God in vain or in emptiness or purposelessness? But in Malawi, we've been there 20 years because I was working in a region with people and it never progressed to the point where I could take the same group of men and women, and walk them through the training through the scriptures of going chapter by chapter, book by book, and build within them, by the grace of God, you know, what we have to offer. Uh, I can't dance. (laughs) I can teach through the Bible. Many of you could do that in Malawi, and you would be very helpful. You'd be surprised. 
um, we, and Dave talked about the Bibles, you know, we have been giving Bibles for all those years until just last year, and we gave Bibles until every pastor we knew had one, but what happens is more churches start, and now you have more people without Bibles, so it's a wonderful thing that's happening with that. I'm very supportive of that. So um, I, it wasn't developing, and I was, I was praying. I wasn't completely feeling like giving up, but I thought maybe I'm supposed to just I got to find another place to be. And all the leaders that I had been with, with all the good that had been done, it's not like good had not been done. But I was um, uh, very much um, felt the need to be unwavering in the goal. Yeah, we did a lot of helps ministry too. We always do stuff like that. But that's never been the focus for us is helping with physical needs. We do that because it's them in the Word. Let them become self-sufficient in Bible study so they can lead properly and avoid these false doctrines and craziness that happens. Kind of like what we pray for here in our own country. <laughs> so anyway, uh, as I was praying about that, lo and behold, we meet Edwin Terra, when our friend from Oregon, Scott Biondi, another dovetail magical moment, magical, supernatural moment that my friend from Oregon that I co-labored with also is going to Malawi up in the central region, not the south, and he introduces me to Edwin. Edwin did not oversee the, what we call now, change their name from Pentecostal, nothing against Pentecostals, but they know what that identifies there as the extremist, and they're really trying to be based in the Word of God and certainly the Holy Spirit. And we never encourage them to change their name. We don't care. We don't, we're not here to control that. But Edwin was part of a denomination that was struggling and troubled, and he was trying to help them be right and staying faithfully. But he finally, as we got to know him, he was moving into developing his own group because he wanted to follow the Word of God, and it wasn't really happening there. We meet Edwin. We begin to see his uh, integrity and his hunger for the Word. And by the time two years ago came, and I've been teaching through the Word and showing them, they began, and he had begun now, Christian Pentecostal Church. He started with 10 to 20 churches that, that bloomed out of that. Well, now there's 120. What's happening there, and part of it is that we were teaching through the Word, and they all said, let's teach through the Gospel of John. And nobody in these villages and all these places has ever had anybody teach through the Bible. Now, I'm saying nobody in Malawi, but it's just not a common thing at all. It's also not common to take pastors who only speak Chichewa and train them in their language. You know, for a guy to go to Bible school anywhere, he's got to be able to speak of them. But who has access to that? So we go to them, and that's this la a year ago. Not only did they go into the Gospel of John, then last year we make the videos of a Through the Bible four-week, 13 sessions per week of Through the Bible. And I'm thinking at that point, well, I mean, I, I finally got to where I could get it on, on video, and it's done, and, you know, maybe we'll go a lot more, and maybe we won't. Could somebody get me a glass of water, by the way? Uh, so thank you. So... Um, Maybe, maybe we'll keep going, maybe we won't. We don't want to just go to go. We want to go for good reason. And uh, the, the great thing that's been happening with this group is they embrace people who aren't in their group too. This guy Humphreys will probably start a, 
a Calvary Chapel church. Nobody's going to push him to be CPC. Nobody cares about that in our group. We care about, are you getting the word? Are you teaching the word? Be whatever you need to be. We're not there to control what they're doing. And then, uh, uh, so, there's what's happening there. Thank you so much. What's happening there, excuse me. It's much like Calvary Chapel when Chuck Smith began Calvary Chapel. Is a guy who wanted to go through the word, and then all these young people got saved, and they started sending out guys, and guys started churches. You know, those of you who have seen the, the Jesus Revolution, Greg Glory had not been through Bible school. He sat under Chuck Smith and going through the Bible for, what, a year and a half. Off he went to Riverside. If you know who Greg Laurie is, there, he's one of many guys who were totally unqualified to start churches. You understand me? By anybody's standard, it would be like, are you crazy? <laughs> Sending these young, just, how long have you been off drugs? Uh, uh, <laughs> how long have you been through the Bible? I've gone through half of the New Testament. Great, go start a church. That was what was happening in America in the 70s. What's happening in Africa, they're not all young teenagers coming off of drugs. There's just people in villages hearing about teaching through the word and, and being more sound and based and balanced, and there's just more and more new pastors coming up in churches, but they need training. And that's what Dave was talking about in the future, training pastors, preparing them, and that's what I've been doing the whole time in some measure. So, uh, you know, there's, there's some churches that uh, really there's a wide range between the guys at the top who are learning the word and getting to the guys who aren't. So there's a lot of work to do. And, you know, for them to go through the videos even, you find out when you go back, you, you know, I've been going 20 years and you would think I would stop being amazed at how many things are so difficult. When you you'd figure, you well, 20 years, you, sh- you should know your stuff, Rick. But I continue to be amazed at how difficult it can be. I mean, you got a a thumb drive, you get a TV where it plugs into the TV, and you have a car battery to run the electricity. But the battery goes dead, and then you have to take it and get it charged. And and it's not like you just take it and get it charged. And we go, well, why don't you have a second battery? Because they can barely put food on the table, let alone have another battery in four different places. We're not trying to fix everything. We're not just throwing money. Oh, well, let's fix that. Let's fix that. Let's fix that. They have resourcefulness, and they have a need to do what they need to do as well. And we need to be careful that we don't become sugar daddy. And nobody, certainly not Edwin, is asking us to do that. And it's tough. Are you with me? It's tough. I'm not asking you, let's go take care of everything. I've never asked you that, and I never will. But what I have found is, oh, yeah, John, you're right, (laughs) about going through in an orderly fashion. I'm not going to worry about it today. You guys give me a lot of grace, right, for jet lag. So what, what we did this year is we went through deeply First and Second Corinthians with the leaders of all the churches that we could, a focus on the spiritual man or woman versus the carnal man and woman, because Paul said you're carnal with all these divisions and all this lifting up of Paul or Apollos or certain apostles. It's tailor-made. Corinthians is tailor-made 
to speak to Malawians about this false apostles and then about carnal versus spiritual. And so that's what we did. What is a true apostle and prophet? What's a New Testament apostle? Prophet versus Old Testament. And there's much confusion and oppression, and they were elated to hear a deeper study through a portion of it. Secondly, what we did is uh, we broke them into teams on the second day of the teaching and gave them sections of Scripture to read together as teams, and then one person present for each of them. They'd never done this before in our presence, and it just went really well, even with the ones that were far off the deep end (laughs) that needed to be helped. It was great. Most of them were on the right track, and they got even more on the right track by doing this project with us. And then um, we did the water-to-wine couples retreat, and really in some ways that's much more... um, much more powerful than almost anything we did. Because, and they want us to do more because we were doing leaders. And in order to do with the people in the churches, you've got to go to a central location in each area. And I'm very happy to do that if the Lord allows. Um, we, we see fruit in this already. Um, in our time of debriefing with the main leaders of the group, a uh, couple of things that stood out was one of the guys said, you know, I have a leader in my church. This guy oversees a certain 12 churches, so there's leaders under leaders, you know, going down. And he goes, and uh, this guy has always taught like one verse, which is the typical thing around the world in these places, is one verse and just talking around one verse about whatever is on your, whatever, Okay. And he goes, this time he sat through your thing, and when he, I had him teach on Sunday, you know, we were there a long time. He goes, this last Sunday I had him teach for me, and he stood up, and he goes, for the very first time, this guy actually went through a section of Scripture, explained its context, explained what it was saying, explained what it meant. And he goes, he did a beautiful job. I was elated. I was elated to hear that. And the other ones, a lot of them said, yes, that. And they also said in the marriage retreat, some of the most basic things that even though we have trouble here in marriage and in obedience to the Word of God, we certainly do. But um, the treatment of women there is so vastly different than here. And the mutual respect and love in marriage and the ability to hear from God together and seek Him. You know, I I ask this question. I, I ask it to you. I ask them, I said, so what's the number one goal of marriage? And you get everything from for children, for relationship, for sex, for family. But what's the number one goal? One guy did say, which was my goal, what I share is, it's to glorify God. But the way I get there is to say, before we answer the question, what's the number one goal for marriage? What's your number one goal as a Christian? What is God's purpose for your life? For you as a Christian, God's goal for you is that you glorify him. Revelation 4.11, for your pleasure, all things are and were created. Everybody here, you were, whether you like it or not, you don't have to agree with me. You're arguing with the Bible, not Rick Cohen. For his pleasure, you are created, were created. It's why you exist. It's why you're breathing right now. You can do whatever you want with it, but that's what God says is your purpose, is to glorify him. So if you have a man and a woman that come together as one, what is their purpose? If my purpose is to glorify God, your purpose is to glorify God, what's our purpose together? I just wanted to throw this in for you, may God not find happiness in another person above that. 
certainly you hopefully you'll find happiness with them, but you won't if you make them God and your relationship God. Well, anyway, I'm going to do a marriage retreat on top of everything else right here. But <laughs> they were so struck by this. They were so struck by how to conduct yourself in marriage and the scriptures. And they were begging us to come back and do every single place we can possibly do. All the people gather them together. And of course, we'd love to do that. Uh, the core leadership is uh, committed to this process of through the word, and it's a huge challenge and a huge blessing. And what came to me, and I, I don't really have a whole lot more to go be, don't worry, I'm not going to go real long. But you Navy guys, uh, Mark, John, I, when I go to Google, I find that Google has seven answers for, that you can find. You don't even know which one's the right one, but... What the typical time I found to, to turn a nuclear aircraft carrier around 180 is the quickest they can do is three and a half minutes. Does that sound right? That sounds really quick. Can they turn a nuclear aircraft carrier around? Okay, I heard a third of a mile up to a mile. Here's what we know. A nuclear aircraft carrier has 5,000 people on it, plus a bunch of jets, right, and helicopters. Everybody know that? Giant, you've seen movies, you've seen... Okay, a speedboat has two guys in it <laughs> and a fishing tackle. And you can turn a speedboat around. You can go, yeah, just like that, right, speedboats. You can turn direction with them, but they're not going to accomplish a lot. They are for the person that wants to turn and zip and fish. But you got this giant city on the water, and you want to turn that thing in, under normal conditions, it's like anywhere from a third of a mile or more in order for it to make a 180. You don't turn it on a dime. Great, Rick. What's that got to do with anything you're talking about? So glad you asked. You don't change. This, is, this hit me so hard because I thought we might be, I was willing to be done. And, of course, if God doesn't empower us to go, we will be done but I have no desire to be done because you don't turn a culture on a dime. You don't change a church culture. You don't change a nation's culture. You don't, it's not a speedboat. We're not here, Meow. we're going to fix this. It's a slow, strong, steady turn. And uh, I think that we have been... Uh, um, in a sense, unwavering in that desire. No matter all the other things you hear about that we do, the one desire that has always been there that continues to be there, it's the same thing I desire for this nation, to see us turn around in a direction we've almost never been. And is the Lord going to come? Are things going to fall apart before that ever happens? Maybe. That's not my job. You know, you don't just sit on your hands because you think the Lord's coming back. You do what you do to make it better. And I just got to tell you that I believe in what we're doing. I believe in what you have been supporting and praying for and giving towards. And I want to thank you with the bottom of my heart that you encourage Gail and I to go. And if the Lord wills, we want the overview for the pastors generally. However that all works out, if the Lord allows... But my goal is to help that nuclear <laughs> aircraft carrier keep turning. Uh, so I have vision for that. I have hope for that. I have encouragement. The schooling project, it's turn, you know, it's a small one, but it's turning. The school that Edwin's doing, 
those are in the same vein as teaching the scripture. Uh, and that high school, by the way, teaches all in English. And they're getting kids in there, and you have to start somewhere. So um, we see fruit in it. We see the change happening. And, and they tell, when they say to us, you've transformed our lives, we take it with a grain of But we're seeing because the village mentality of even how they buy, uh, when they make their, grow their crops and then sell them and how they use their money, Edwin is really working with the guys and the average churchgoer there to get them, and even some of the pastors, to be thoughtful, prayerful, careful, to listen to their wives. Because <laughs> usually the wife knows that we need to save money and plant more of this stuff, and it's just... So we're encouraging all those things while we're encouraging them through the Word of God. So the, the thing that the, the difficulties are enormous and continuous, and it would be impossible for me to explain to you, as some of you who've traveled to these places, you know, but the difficulties, the way we see them, they seem insurmountable. And even to them, sometimes it feels insurmountable. When you live there and that's all you've known, then it's not quite as big, right? When you've, that's all you've known. Nonetheless, we could see some of the enormous pressure and difficulty. So please pray for Edwin Tara and the leadership team of uh, Christian Pentecostal Church that they would endure, that they would stand, they would be unified because so much could seek to knock them off of their direction. And the pressure t- is real. And, you know, people are looking for immediate fixes. Does it sound familiar? Immediate fixes. And I said to them, sorry, you've got to be willing to lose people. This will not work if your goal is just to keep people. You have to want the people who are with you to gain the heart of the Lord for how to serve him and follow him in spirit and truth. And you might lose people. But some people that you lose come back later when they realize they were off track. It takes time. I gave him the picture of the nuclear (laughs) aircraft carrier. When I said there's 5,000 people on a ship, you wouldn't believe how big their eyes got. Because who, even you and I, like, that just sounds crazy. There's a McDonald's, too. So that's important to know. It's important to know there's a McDonald's on an aircraft carrier. I mean, America. So uh, (laughs) after that brain break, uh, please pray for them. Uh, But I got to tell you, after 20 years, with all that they lack, and they lack so much, it amazes me still how much joy they have. When we got to the place Gail mentioned in Cheyu, they'd been waiting all day for us. Nobody said, well, there was a broken down car. We had to borrow a car or rent a car. I mean, there was a whole, there was just daily life of Malawi. Car problems <laughs> for those who have them. And uh, it, all day they're there waiting for us. When we got there, they just greeted us with the biggest smiles and joy. Not one person left or said, I don't need this. I've been sitting here all day. How many of us would wait all day? Our world doesn't operate that way, I understand. They not only waited, but we got there. I got to give everything worked out. But immediately they sang a song, and they were, I mean, do Malawians dance? They dance. 
But these guys, there was something more. They were just, they were just immediately, it was overwhelming, and their joy. And then when he started teaching, the receiving of it, and the joy and the thankfulness was overwhelming. Many issues uh, there, but like us, and like it says in the Scripture here, for the apostles and for those who serve the Lord, in much patience, in tribulation, and distress, in fastings, for them they have Paul's fastings were not all chosen fasts. Paul isn't saying, I fast a lot because I'm spiritual. In this section that we just read, Paul says in many fastings, like, we didn't have food. These guys can relate. I can't relate to that. You know, um, as poor and making many rich, of a Malawian that they could make me rich, far richer than I am by anything I possess here. Now, not your, my relationship with you. I thank God for you, and that's rich to me. But the riches that I have as a rich American, and I am, and you are a rich American. Just come to Malawi with me if you don't believe me. You are rich, 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 rich in finance, in physical realm. But they are rich, and they make us rich. And I believe they've made this body rich by what has happened to Gail and I through the years. Uh, I think things would be different. Many of these issues so true by so many believers in Malawi, and, and we are different because of them. But what struck me most, and that's where we'll end today, is the verse that says, as unknown, yet well-known. As unknown, yet well-known. Now, Edwin, our good friend who leads the group with the team, he's not a solo leader. He's got a board of directors and everything in a healthy way. But Edwin, who leads the group, is kind of well-known in Malawi. Anywhere you go, you meet people that know this guy. Uh, he has a great testimony. And I don't want to rob him of his blessing by telling everybody in the world. who. But Chuck Smith, uh, what he said a lot of times in his ministry was, if I'm going to err, I want to err on the side of grace. Have you heard that before, Pete? He's not the only one that said that. If I want to err, I want to err on the side of grace. Uh, Chuck Smith uh, sometimes took risks with people for the sake of God's grace to work through them. Uh, and I bet, I bet they didn't all work out. You know, they didn't all work out. Uh, nothing works 100% for any of us. But, but I think uh, Chuck Smith may have met his match with Edwin Terra on somebody who will err on the side of grace. I think my role with him is sometimes to pull him in a little bit. But on the other hand, he moves me. And, uh, I, but I ask here, uh, how many people know you? You know, I'm asking you now. Uh, do 200 people know you? Joel, you're kind of known because of your music, right? Maybe 500 people, 1,000, who knows? Do you have any idea? Maybe like that, you know? Ilsa, how many people know you? Enough, <laughs> enough. Don't need any more, you know? Here you got some famous people. Mark, how many people know you? You know, seven. <laughs> how many people know you? Not that many. Are you famous? Are you going to be famous? Maybe some of you young people, something's going to happen. You're going to be famous. That's fine. That's fine. I went everywhere I went in Malawi. I said, how many people know you? And I said, sir, probably, two, you probably know 200 people know you. He goes, oh, no, no, no. As unknown, yet well-known. And as soon as I said, yet well-known, they understood immediately 
they understood immediately. They are well known. Not by the, it wasn't the people in America. You do know them by through us, and we're thankful for that. Know them and pray for them and love them. But we are well known in heaven. Well known by the one whose opinion actually matters. You and the people in Malawi who are unknown are well known by the one person whose opinion really matters. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ or Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're known. And that, uh, how many know your labor? How many know you really well? How many know your sacrifice? I'm talking to you. How many know your integrity with God when others around you are operating without conscience? There are people that operate around you. We're not judging. We just know there's people that operate without a a, a clear conscience. And how many know your labor, your sacrifice, your integrity, your suffering? But hopefully, it is for us, in part, like I want to protect Edwin from just talking all about his glory, because there's the secret place for you and God A Christian, a believer, is to have a secret life. See, not where you keep secrets from others sinfully. Of course not. That secret life needs to be repented of. If you have a secret life that you're hiding, you need to repent. You're dealing with God. Don't play games. Repent. Get help. In the name of Jesus, with all seriousness, if you're living a secret life, that's not the secret life you need. It's destroying you. On the other hand, every believer should have a secret life. When you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand does. When you pray, go into your closet and pray to the Father who sees in secret, and the Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. They immediately understood, well-known. Hebrews 6.10, if we can put that up, if we got there. Did we? For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. You know what that means? One of the things that means as an underlying reality is that people will forget. Guys will forget their anniversary. (laughs) Children will forget that you slaved and worked hard to give them a great vacation or something, and they will forget, or how you labored to put them through school or whatever it is you did, there's kids that will forget. Should I go through any longer the list? It gets more painful. Let's just leave it there. People will forget or never know what you've done. And if you're going to live a life of joy, you're going to have to get over that. You're going to have to let go of that. Do you want joy? Or do you want acknowledgement from people? Because sometimes you cannot have both. I didn't make the rules. <laughs> I'm not dictating how this works. I'm telling you what you already know, and perhaps some don't want to hear it, but it's the truth. 
God is not unjust. He won't forget your labor of love that you ministered to the saints and that you keep going. Matthew 25, when Jesus tells this parable of the talents, five to one, two to one, and one to one, he gave five talents, a talent's a big deal of money. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you Lord. I find it very fascinating that the one that got the most was five talents, and a talent's just this huge, as Dave would say, humongous amount of money. Sounds like it was a really big thing, and what God requires of those who will serve him is not for you to be good at, perfect at, and do a million different things, juggling all these things and being good at everything. It's a few things. A few things. When I'm in Malawi, I see so many things I can't fix. They are heartbreaking. That's still true. It's still true in Costa Rica. It's still true in many other places. It is. It can make you not want to go and sit in a car and watch people go by you or knock on your window or all the rest of it. It's or just see the. But I can't fix it. God's given me something to do, Gail something to do, Dave something to do, that we can do. And for you, God's given you things that you can do. Can I encourage you to stop looking at what you can't do and find out what you can do and do it with all your heart. And some of you here do that without any encouragement from Rick Cohen. And I thank you because you are an example to me and because you are faithful to God. And you know what? We need to be inspired by others. Paul inspires us. His life inspires us, doesn't it? Do you have people who inspire you? That you look at them and you go, they inspire me to do better. People God will use people to inspire you, but listen carefully and I'm done. But people cannot empower you. They can inspire you. I want to do what I can. I like the I want to follow that footstep of giving of myself and as it says in chapter 5, recognizing that if one died for all, then all were dead. Who died for them and rose again. That's what I want to do. And I see other people do it, and I'm inspired. But inspiration is only take you this far. Empowerment comes from the Holy Spirit, not from Paul the Apostle, not from Edwin Terra, not from your friends who are doing good things. Be inspired by them. But if you're going to be empowered, If I'm going to be empowered, there's one source for that. It's the Holy Spirit. And you have the same ability as anyone else to lean on the Lord and receive the empowering of his Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to stand.